have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them up to the book of Jonah. I feel like when I, uh, when it comes to the book of Jonah, I feel like it's okay for me to say there's no shame in using the table of contents to find it, um, because it's in there, the minor prophets that we read all the time, I'm sure. If it helps, uh, Jonah is in between the books of Obadiah and Micah. So, is that helpful? <laughs> so if you know where those books are, right in between is the book of Jonah. So go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah this morning. And uh, what we're going to do is basically your reading plan for this week, uh, week 20 in our, our uh, Every Story Whispers His Name year-long plan, um, takes us to the book of Jonah, all four chapters, and so what we're going to do this morning is kind of a survey of the book. We won't go down into every single detail, but we'll, we'll do a survey of the book together this morning. Um, and so let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in and get rolling. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. God, we thank you for the weather, just a terrific weekend, hopefully for everyone so far and uh, God, we just pray that together as we gather to here in this space that your spirit would lead us. Um, God, give us ears to hear, a heart to, to receive that which you have for us, Lord, and give us clear minds um, to just be here. Uh, we, we carry a lot of things in this room with us, a lot of things that we're still wrestling with or thinking about from the week past, maybe even something that happened this morning, um, or we're, we're, our minds are already going towards, man, all that we've got ahead of us this week. So God, I just pray for the next few moments in here that, God, you would just help us to have a calm heart, give us peace, just to sort of relax a little bit and to be open to, to see, hear, and receive that which you would have for us in the book of Jonah. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so, you know, so the book of Jonah is, if you've, hopefully you found it by now. Um, it takes me a while to find it. Um, as well. So even though it is a difficult book or can be a challenge to find it in your Bible, um, it's not an unfamiliar story, right? It's probably among, and we've hit a lot of these in our series so far, but Jonah is probably among one of the most familiar in the Bible, right? It's the big fish um, and the man that got swallowed by it. Um, but this morning, what I, what I want to do, like I said, when we do the survey, this book kind of moves throughout the book, what I hope to do is, is to show you that this is actually, what's going on in the book of Jonah is actually a lot bigger than just a pretty miraculous event surrounding um, Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. The, the big idea that I want you to sort of take away from this book is, is really this. this the, the story of Jonah, the plot of Jonah is really a story about misaligned values. The story of Jonah, the plot, if you will, in the four chapters that we'll survey, is really about misaligned values. Um, and what, what I want to do is I want to give us a question to sort of anchor our outline in this morning to guide us through this survey. And here's the question that will drive us this morning. Are you ready? If you want to write it down in your notes, section of your handout on the back there, you can. Here's the big idea or the question, rather. Are, are you into, are you and I into what God is up to? 
are you and I into what God is up to? Remember we said just a moment ago that, that this story is much more than just a story about a guy who gets swallowed by a fish. It's really a story about misaligned values. And so thus the question, are you and I really into what God is up to? Now I would say this too, that all of us in this room this morning, like you can look around and look at the little whites of the eyes of all the people that are around you. Um, don't linger, that'd be weird, but you know, take it all in. If we look around and sort of see who's in the room, and we can essentially, I think, say that all of us in here are either moving into or out of alignment with God. Like even if, even as a Christian, right? I mean, we, we would agree that even as a believer, moment by moment, day by day, we're sort of moving into and out of alignment with what God values. Um, you might say it's a one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, sort of ebb and flow. Your think about it this way: your your loves. Your loves, the things that you're after and care about and pursuing, your loves are either lining up more often with what God loves or they're not every day. Your, think about it this way. Your purpose, when your feet hit the ground every single morning, your, your purpose is either lining up with what God wants and what his purpose is, what he calls us to, or you're not. So what we'll see in this book is that we're all kind of in this ebb and flow. Like we either are moving into or out of alignment with what God values. Now I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. Jonah, the, the, the bulk of what we know about Jonah comes from this book. But this is not the only place in the Bible where Jonah is mentioned. And I think it's important to show you this because what we're going to be looking at this morning are a lot of the, the, the biggest chunk of what we know about Jonah is where his, his values were misaligned from what God valued. That's what we'll see in Jonah. But just so you know for sure, the, the true story or the full story of Jonah, we actually see a little bit of him in 2 Kings chapter 14 when Jonah is being a faithful prophet to Israel, in Israel. He's serving God faithfully and he's serving God boldly. Like he hadn't had just this easy passive sort of ministry. And then what we know about the book of Jonah comes. Now he, he had already in 2 Kings 14 been serving as a faithful prophet to Israel under the king Jeroboam. And, and this guy is an evil dude. So, so the prophet here in 2 Kings is called to confront Jeroboam and to speak boldly against his, the leadership of his own people, etc. So he's been a faithful prophet. But... What we see here in the book of Jonah now is a season in Jonah's life where his values are suddenly misaligned with that which God has called him to. And that can certainly be the case for us. We are either moving into or out of what God values in our own personal lives. Now let's jump into the book of, of, of Jonah here, and y'all track with me, we'll move around some. So look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I want to show you something interesting. In the very first chapter, you see this really in 
interesting phrase. You see it there. It says, the word of the Lord came. The very first few words of the book. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, this phrase, the phrase, the word of the Lord came, or the word of the Lord, that particular phrase is an interesting phrase. It shows up about 99 times in the Old Testament alone. And what's interesting about that phrase is that when we see that phrase, the very next thing that we see is some sort of dynamic movement or change. It's God's authority being spoken into creation. It's God's word being made clear to the people of God. It's a word of judgment or a word of hope. It's a word of confidence, of do not fear. It's a word that comes. And what I want you to understand about that especially as we open up the book of Jonah, is that when the word of God comes, things happen. Things happen. We would say, too, theologically, that God's word has agency. In that, I mean that God doesn't, have, doesn't just speak something and then has to go do it, but his very word spoken then initiates, completes, and brings to fruition that which his word has spoken. Does that make sense? It has agency. We see this in several places throughout the scriptures. Psalm 33.6 is a great example of this. Psalm 33.6 says this, that the heavens were made by the word of the Lord. God's word has agency. It has authority. It speaks. It reveals who he is and his power, his character, his nature. So when the word of the Lord comes, that's a big time phrase that we need to pay attention to. It, the heavens were made by it. Now here's an interesting thing you need to consider to, to sort of see and understand what's happening in the book of Jonah. You won't find a verse where the sun and the stars are ever told to listen and obey. Because they always do exactly what God says. The sun has never said, meh, I don't think so, not today. Right? The moon has never said, I don't want to reflect the sun, I'm tired of being second. Um, the, the, everything that God says in creation, creation responds. I don't want you to think about that in the book of Jonah because it's really interesting. There's a theme here. Think about this. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 17... Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, what happens? Jonah is thrown out of the boat. What does God do? God commands a fish to come and grab Jonah. God speaks it, God appoints it, and the fish responds to it immediately. There's obedience. In chapter 2 verse 10, the same thing happens. In chapter 2 verse 10, the fish as God commands, spits Jonah up onto dry land. The fish is obedient to God. In chapter 4, look at this. In chapter 4, verse 6, God commands, the word of the Lord comes. In chapter 4, verse 6, the word of the Lord commands a plant to grow and to provide shade for Jonah. And the plant does as the Lord's word says. In chapter 4, verse 7, God commands a worm to eat said plant. Worm obeys and eats said plant. In Jonah chapter 4 verse 8, God commands the east wind to come and to beat down on Jonah. And the wind comes upon appointed 
by God's word. They all obey. Are you tracking with me? Every time God says obey or God gives a command, nature and earth, they, when, they, when they receive the command, they obey the command. Sun, come up. Sun comes up. All throughout the book of Genesis chapter 1, we see creation taking place. You see the phrase, two phrases repeated all the time. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God's word has agency. Do you know, of all, listen to me carefully, of all of God's creation, all of it, it's you and I who have a hard time listening and obeying, hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God. It's you and I that, that struggle with aligning our purpose, our will, our mission, our desires with the revealed word of God. It's not the sun or the trees. Here, let me make this point too. You'll never see a verse, to the best of my recollection, like James 1.22 that's addressed to a tree. James 1.22 says this, don't just listen to the word, don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? Doers of the word. That verse is addressed to the likes of you and I. It's never to the sun or to the moon, it's you and I. It's, it's you and I, it's, it's the pinnacle of God's creation, us. We are the ones with moral fortitude and character and uniqueness sown into us. We're the ones with free choice and free will that use that against God's call, against God's value. And you're going to see that here in the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to the fish, to the plant, to the worm, to the wind. They all respond. But when the word of God comes to Jonah, things are go different. Like I'm, as a parent in here, and you, you know this, you've experienced this. As a parent, I'm always telling my kids two things all the time. I feel like there are four things as a dad that will be on my gravestone. The four most quotable things of Chris. Shut the door. Turn the lights off. Listen, obey. If I never spoke another word, those are the four things that my, my kids would be like, that's what he was about. He had a passion for seeing doors closed. My dad had a passion for no electricity. He had a passion for, for calling us to listen. And he had a passion for obedience. I tell my kids all the time, listening is good. Listening is a good thing. We got one mouth, two ears. We should listen twice as much as we speak. But I also tell my kids all the time that more than just listening, listening is a good thing. Execution upon which has been heard is better. And that's what this book is about. That's what Jonah is about. So you and I are the only part of creation that has a mis misaligned values. And this book isn't about a fish. This book is about a God that speaks into your life and calls you to come and listen and be a part of what he's doing and wants to do in and through you, if we'll obey. So really quickly, verse 2, we're not going to go through, people think, oh, this is really slow, verse by verse. Here We're going to skip ahead really quickly here in a moment. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, 
Jonah receives the word, hears the word, and we know it because of what he does. But before we get there, what is the word? Look at verse 2. The word comes to Jonah, and the word is, in a phrase, get up, go. Get up and go. Where do you get up and go? Where should I get up and go? To east? Do I just head east like Abram? No. We are going to Nineveh. Here's what you need to know about Nineveh. Just a really quick recap of some interesting history. This is a, a well-excavated area, archaeologically speaking, in Iraq, near Mosul, Iraq. It's a modern, that's where the modern-day area is found. There's been all kinds of archaeological things happen there. It was the capital, the last capital of the Assyrian Empire. But in the book of Jonah, we get some really interesting details about this particular city. In, in Jonah 1-2, and again in Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, it's referred to as a great city. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 3, you see the word extraordinarily great. Like It is an awesome city. It's a great city. But this is not, lest we not understand, this is not tourists speak. Like, man, you got to go there. It's a great city. When they say great, what, what, what Jonah is meaning here to sort of explain to us, it was a powerful city. It was the capital city of these wickedly ruthless and violent people, the Assyrians, the enemy to Israel. They were bloodthirsty. Like, like I don't even want to go into the details of how wicked they were because it feels weird for me to say the things that I've read about who they are and what they did. Like, it would make you throw up. Seriously, like these people were, you got, and you got to understand that to some degree, that these people aren't just like, these aren't just people, well, they didn't bring their Bible to church, so go get them, Jonah. Now, these are the people who, when they would go into a city and capture it, they would peel the skin off of their enemy and lay it out in front of everyone to show this is what we do when people rise up against us. That's the tip of the iceberg. So these people are wicked people. In Jonah 3, chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah says that it's a three days walk to go around the city. So it's a big city. So it's great in power and influence as any capital city would be. But then here it says it's a three days walk. It's big. Chapter 4, verse 11, says that there were 120,000 people that lived in this city. So this is a big city in power, in number, in space. This is where Jonah is called to go to. But I want you to look at verse 2 as well. We're, we're told here not only what Jonah's call was in terms of where he should go, get up and go to Nineveh, but verse 2 also tells us what he was to do there in this city. Now, he's a prophet. So, so he's used to, at some level, hearing God's word and then going and repeating that and sharing that and speaking that. But in verse 2 it says here that he's, told to go and preach against this city why look at the verse it says because their evil has come up before me this isn't like God just sort of like whoa what's going on over here I didn't see that now what this means here is that God's ready to deal with the Assyrians God has decided that this is the time to deal with Nineveh and so he's called to go and to do what he's been doing in some form or fashion in terms of his calling, but now he's called to go to a pretty intensely wicked city and people. And look what he, so he's supposed to go and preach their evil. How do you think people are going to respond to that? Hey, can I tell you where all the evil is in your life? This is not a great way to begin an evangelistic conversation. Jesus didn't necessarily do it that way. 
he addressed what was there, but he didn't do it in a condemning kind of way. But look at chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4 gives us some more insight as to what this message really was. Jonah, what are you really doing for these people? So not only is it a provocative message in so much as it's a confrontational message, but look at verse 4 of chapter 3. This is what his message was even more specifically. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. So Jonah is called to go to this city, this intensely wicked city. He's called to preach there that there is evil there, to draw their attention to it. But he's also giving and speaking a word of soon executed judgment and condemnation. He's saying in 40 days, you will come to account with the God of the sea and the land, as he refers to him in chapter 1. But what's interesting, too, to think about this here is he's called to go to the city. He's called to preach this message of truth in the walls of the city. That means his calling was to go and minister face to face. This is not email or Twitter it's not Joan, I want you to write a scroll down and I want you to send it via carrier so that they can read it and you have some distance from them. Now, this is a call for Jonah to move by ground into this city and to preach against it from within the city. And like we said earlier, Jonah is, is at some level used to doing this. In 2 Kings, he's already been doing this in some manner of speaking as a prophet in Israel. But this is a whole new ballgame. Do you understand that? This is a whole new ballgame for Jonah. But I want to I just give you an interesting note here about what the call of God looks like and what it does in your life. You see, when this, is, this is typically what we've seen so far in God speaking to Jonah. This is a lot of times how God works and how God speaks into our own lives. God's calling on you specific or broad as a believer as big and as scary as it may be and you've got to imagine this was a terrifying situation for Jonah but God's calling in your life in mine no matter how big or scary it may be it is nonetheless an invitation to join him in something greater something unimaginably fulfilling if you and I will trust him more than we fear that which we seem or perceive to be as a barrier in front of us. God has immensely wonderful and thrilling things for you and for me. Because what he's doing in the world is immensely powerful and fulfilling and thrilling. But you and I live a stagnant and lukewarm spiritual life more often than not because you and I refuse to submit to the word of God when it comes and we do not obey. We do not live on faith. We live on everything we can control, measure, and see. And God has more for you than what you can control, see, and measure. He is the immeasurably more God. This is how the call of God works when it shows up in our lives. So let's really, let's quickly look at this verse 3. See, we're cruising along here. Verse 3 is, how does Jonah respond? How does he respond? Look at verse 3. Two things I want to show you in verse 3. There's another one that shows up in verse 10, but we're not going to go there. 
In verse 3, we see this. I love how, okay, wait, so I love how there's no, like, this is like, when you read the book of Mark, of all the Gospels, the book of Mark uses the word immediately all the time. If you've ever read the book of Mark, you see that. And it's like Jesus being teleported around Israel, because it says Jesus was here, and then immediately he was over here. It's like he's just being teleported all over the place. And the point of that is to show, that, show uh, Jesus' movement, his intensity, his mission, his purpose. He's getting after it. He's going and doing some things here. And then what happens here is, like, there's, there's no mixing and matching. There's no painting the scene here. It says, the word of God came. The word of God said, get up and go. The word of God was go to Nineveh. And bam, in verse 3, look at this. Jonah got up, what happens? To flee to Tarshish. Say that five times fast. From the Lord's presence. He did not mess around. Jonah is not recorded in here, and we don't know everything if it's not recorded in here. But if we read between the lines just a teensy bit, I can't imagine Jonah didn't even waste time praying about this call. He got up and he fleed. I'm just seeing if you're awake. He fled. He got out of there. He got out of Dodge. He went to Tarshish. But I want you to notice in twice, twice, when it's repeated, it's important. All of God's words are important. But when it's repeated twice or three times, you've got to lean into this. Twice in verse 3, it says that upon his fleeing, what was he fleeing? The presence of God. When you flee the word of God... You will also be fleeing from the presence of God. God is sovereign. There is nowhere that which you can run from him. But you can be outside of his umbrella coverage of favor and presence. And Jonah was doing everything he could to be away. You see this happening a third time. I believe it was in verse 10. You see that phrase again, fleeing from the presence of God. Now, I want you to think about this. This is one of those times, and it's not just one of those times. Geography is always really important and interesting in the Bible. I want you to think about this for just a second in terms of how far Jonah is going. So Jonah was living in Nazareth at the time. This is northern Israel. And when he's called to go to Nineveh, I actually uh, map quested this just for fun. I mean, I read it in commentaries too, but I thought, what if we were just going to do it today? By car. See, Jonah didn't have a car. Uh, so Jonah was living in Nazareth, this northern Israel, and he was called to go to Nineveh, which is around Mosul, uh, Iraq. That's about a 700-mile drive east. Okay, write this down or think about it. 700 miles east is where he's called to go. But it says here, without hesitation, it would seem, he went to Tarshish or he boarded a boat in that direction. Tarshish, Tarshish is 3,000 mi- 3, miles west of Nazareth. You get it? He's here. He's called to go 700 this way. He goes nearly 3,000 miles that way. Tarshish is in modern-day Spain. So you cross the Mediterranean, Spain. What's essentially happening here is Jonah is running to the, at the known, in the known world at that time, Jonah is literally fleeing to the ends of the earth to run away from that which God has called him to do. Jonah's not messing around. Now I want to, I want to take a time out here and I want, to, I want to draw some conclusions before we continue. Because as, as crazy as this call seems to be, 
from God to Jonah, the, the, the calling here of God to, for Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach reveals some really important things about God himself as God, God's word is designed in part to do. Listen to this. Here is one of the two takeaways um, from the uniqueness of this call. Number one is this. God has compassion for those who seem the furthest away from him. God has compassion for those who seem to be the furthest away from him. On two levels, this is seen in the story. Number one, the Assyrians were a bloodthirsty, violent, and ruthless people. This is far away from God, if not by geography from, um, from Jonah and Israel in moral value and character. It's diametrically opposed to who God is. This reminds me, by the way, of, well, let me say this. The second thing that we see here is that God was in pursuit of Jonah when he was on his way 3,000 miles away from the presence of God. So you can be geographically, I suppose, distanced from God as well in this particular situation. But more than that, our hearts can be 3,000 miles away from God. But what we see here is this, that God's compassion exists still for those who seem to be the furthest away. This reminds me of you and I. So the Assyrians and Jonah, but even true for you and I. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. God proves his own love for you and for me in that while we were enemies of God, while we were sinners running away from God, Christ demonstrates his love for you and I in that he died for you and for me. We were enemies. If you don't know Christ, if you haven't put your faith in him, you're still an enemy of God. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that God has compassion on those who, the furthest are, who are the furthest away from him or who seem to at least to be. Here's the second thing about this call of God that I think is important for us to understand is this. Here it is. Number two, this is, listen carefully. Number two, God's mercy does not nullify his holiness and neither does his holiness nullify his mercy. Listen, say it again. God's mercy doesn't nullify his holiness and neither does his holiness nullify his mercy. Right, rather than, let's think about this for just a second. Think about this. Think about the enemies of God here, specifically with the Assyrians in Nineveh. He says, rather than, rather than justly destroying them immediately for their evil and for their sin and for their wickedness. The kindness, think about this, the kindness of God sends a prophet of God to warn these people with a 40-day notice that their evil has come to a day or is coming to a day of account, but there is time to recognize it and turn to God. Do you see this here? God is merciful and holy. God is compassion and righteousness. He will call you to account, but he might not do it now because his kindness, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this, do not take the kindness of God for granted. His kindness, listen, is meant to lead us to repentance. This is a word of caution and urgency. 
So you think carefully about this. When, we, when you look around to evil in this world and you hear people say, and rightfully and understandably so, Lord Jesus, come. You, you need to be careful and think about what that word means because it means for some people eternal condemnation if he comes now. And some of those people are your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers. I'm not suggesting that we should, we should pray for, the, for God to tarry, if you will. But what I am saying is as we call for him to come, we better be about getting after the call that we have now in the meantime. Here's the kicker. This is the funniest part about this. Maybe not funny is not the right word, but the most interestingly honest part of this book. One of the reasons I love the word of God is because it's completely honest. There's, there's no hiding the sins of God's people. Here's the kicker. Jonah knows all this about God. Jonah knows that God is a merciful God and that his mercy exists for those furthest away. Jonah knows that the mercy of God doesn't nullify the righteousness of God or the holiness of God and that the holiness holiness of God doesn't nullify the mercy of God. Jonah just doesn't care. Jonah just doesn't care. His, his values right here, what we're about to see, are completely misaligned with God's values. Look at Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, I want to read verses 2 through 5. Listen carefully. Jonah chapter t- 4, verses 2 through 5 says this. Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought... Isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? See, Jonah is saying, listen, I knew this is who you were when I got the call. It's the reason why I went the other direction because I knew this and didn't want it for the people of Nineveh. That's why, look at the verse, that's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This Eli says the same thing every time I say no to a snack. (laughs) Right, if you got kids, you know, like, ah. I feel like Eli, once in a while, I was going to say, I don't know if I can say this correctly. I feel like once in a while when he comes to me after his mom says no, when he comes to me, right, your, your kids work you against each other, and Eli will come to me and ask me something, and I say no, and he's like, e tu, Brute? Is that, I don't know if that's right in the Latin or not, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you too, Brutus? Like, what? You, even you? And then he's like, I'd rather die than wait for dinner. This is what Jonah's doing. This is how, do you know, as a parent, we recognize the, how asinine that statement is for Eli. I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. You want me to show you some pictures of kids that are so hungry they're going to die? We've done that before, by the way. Not as a joke. But I'm like, you don't have any idea what you're saying, the inaccuracy of it. Let me show you the truth of the world, man. This is, this is the insane, this is the asinine concept or, or view for us to Jonah's life that he'd rather die than see the compassion of God move into that city. Look at verse 4. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? And look what happens next. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. 
He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen. Now here's a synopsis of what's happening. Jonah preaches the message of God in chapter 3 to Nineveh. He speaks against the Assyrian evil. Then he sits down outside the city. Basically what you see Jonah doing is he's going outside the city of Nineveh. He's done what he was supposed to do, albeit somewhat reluctantly it seems. But he's been in the belly of the fish, so he's like, okay, I get it now. Fine, I'll do what you want me to do. He goes outside the city. He lays out a blanket, takes his picnic basket out, opens up his sandwiches and eats it, kicks back, puts some lotion on it, kicks back. And what is he waiting to see? He's waiting for fireworks. He, he is still hoping in his heart somehow that rather than God, the loving kindness of God that he knows... Rather than seeing it actually come to fruition, he's hoping that what he'll see is something about he, something he had seen already or read about Sodom and Gomorrah. He's ready for the hellfire to drop. And when it doesn't come, he is so bitter, so angry. Not only does God relent from sending judgment, but it actually says in Jonah chapter 3, the end, that revival actually came to Nineveh from the top down sackcloth, ashes, mourning and repentance. And when God sees this, he relents. And Jonah's gone crazy. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 is where, where I just referenced that. God saw their repentance. God relented from the disaster. But Jonah had no interest in seeing this happen in their life. And isn't it interesting, listen carefully, isn't it interesting that you and I have the same exact tendency we have the tendency to receive God's compassion personally and somehow refuse to be his voice to others. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1, he had seen, he, listen to the, Jonah chapter 2 verses, really most of chapter 2, inside the belly of God's compassion, Jonah calls out to God and he is rescued. Jonah did not want that right to exist for the Assyrians. He did not want them to have the opportunity to call out to a God for rescue. He did not want a God of deliverance for them. So here's what I want to close. I want to close with this. What we don't understand here is that this, or we lose sight of the fact that when we look at the book of Jonah, we're looking at a whale. And what we do most of the time is we miss out on who God is. So here are two questions I want to close with. Two questions. Here's the first one. Focus right here. We're almost done. Where in your life, where in our lives collectively are we out of alignment with God? Where are you out of alignment with God? And do you even recognize that there might be parts of your life that are out of alignment with God? It's amazing to me that you and I had the capacity to be 3,000 miles away from God in our hearts and not even realize it. Jonah chapter 1 verse 5 demonstrates this. Jonah is in the middle of a storm heading away from God as far as he can possibly get. And he's down in the bottom of that ship sound deep asleep. I wonder how many of us are in the exact same scenario. 
How many of us know the compassion of God, have received the gospel of God into our lives, and rather than being on mission with him, we're moving away from him, and in the process we are sound asleep at the wheel. Jonah is running away from God, and he found disaster, because that's what's waiting all of us when we run away from God. In one manner of speaking or another. Here are two really quick things about what it means to run from God or what it looks like to run from God. Number one, you can't outrun God. Jonah tried. A storm came. He got thrown out of the boat. He got swallowed by a whale. God will redirect. You cannot outrun God. Listen, for those of us, for those in here or in the world who do not know him, they might, be, they might think they're running from God. They may not be aware that they're running from God. But you cannot outrun God forever because there is a day of account coming. You can run all you want. It's like a dog on a leash. you got a lot of leash right now. But when you hit the end of that leash, it is a knee-jerk reaction or it is a chain-breaking, neck-breaking reaction. And for a lot of people, that's what's coming for them. Number two, in terms of what it means to run from God, no matter how far you might be, listen very carefully, no matter how far you might be, 3,000 miles or otherwise, God is a compassionate and merciful God, slow to anger. His mercy showed up in Jonah's life by a fish saving him from sinking to the bottom of the ocean. His mercy and compassion showed up in the Assyrian's life by sending a prophet to speak the gospel to them, the truth of them to them and his mercy shows up in your life in my life in two ways at least number one that Jesus Christ came while you and I were still the enemies of God and he came uh, he came nonetheless to save you from your sins and I would say another layer to that is you're a Christian now because someone else responded to the call to get up and go and they brought the gospel to you you are not the originator of salvation the salvation originates with God and is sent to you by the means of people being obedient to get up and go Here's question number two. That was question number one. Where in our lives are we out of alignment with God? Question number two is this. Where in our lives are we running from God's call to get up and go? Where are the people, or I'm sorry, who are the people in your life with whom you need to be sharing the gospel of hope, compassion, and a slow to anger God? A window of time is open because there is a day of account coming. We don't know. It might be 40 days. We don't know when. Do you know this? Listen carefully. Studies show that 85 million people in America have no intention of attending a church service. Listen to this. The unbelievers who do show up are coming, listen to this, because someone has befriended them and invited them. I read this um, on Twitter this past week. That's where I do all my sermon, my sermon prep. That and Wikipedia. But I saw this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And I, I think it's fantastic. He says this. Life's most important and urgent question is this. Are you ready? The most important question is this. What are you doing for others? And I would say that's probably true, don't you think? God knew it was so important he sent you and I into the world to get up and go and tell other people about the most important thing they'll ever come in contact with. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and they either had the opportunity to respond to it in a yes or a no. We're called to go. Let me close with this. In the get up and go, carefully listen to this. In the get up and go, you're never more like Jesus. Jonah was reluctant to get up and go. Jesus was willing. Jonah complained about going. Jesus went humbly. Jonah was uncomfortable. Jesus was crucified. Resurrected to, by, power, by the power of God to demonstrate that all of that which he had said was true and that there is a day coming where all wrongs will be made right. We need to make sure that us collectively and everyone that we know will be standing on the right side of right when that day comes. So let me close with this question. Same question I opened with. Are you and I into what God is up to? If you're far away, return. If you're counted among his today, then get up and go. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the audio message from the Young Adult Gathering at Cross Church Pinnacle Hills Campus. For more information about Cross Church, please visit us online at www.crosschurch.com.